Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It's Wednesday, October 5th. I'm back home from Australia. Uh, brought some COVID with me, so I apologize if I don't sound great. Uh, with me today, Kit Nicholson. How are you, Kit? I'm okay, thanks. And Johnny Long. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and Ronan McLaughlin. How are you, Ronan? I'm good, yeah. Thank you. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we've got Remco, Vinias, Quick Step, something going on there. We're going to dig into it a little bit. We've got Matthew Vanderpool racing Gravel Worlds, which is this weekend. Uh, we've got some ridiculous finish to a race in Croatia. Some Quintana news. Uh, the final Women's World Tour race of the season is this weekend. And... Ronan just got back from Easy Bake Ovening some sort of bicycle yesterday. So he's going to tell us all about it. I'm not going to tell you all. I'm going to mostly tease you so that you go and listen to the dedicated Nerd Alert podcast that we made <laughs> on site. So just enough information to, uh, to pick everyone's interest. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. Uh, I think the place to kick off this week is with one of the biggest stories that's been floating around the world of professional cycling over the last 10 days or so. The Remco Evenepoel contract saga. Uh, Johnny, first and foremost, is there anything to this or is this just, what was it? Was it a fart in a bottle? I think is what Patrick Lefebvre called it. Yep. Yeah. Which is a phrase that I wasn't aware existed in English, but I'm glad it, Glad it now does. There was I saw some questions online as to how he came up with that phrase and whether it's one that he's sort of made himself, which I don't <laughs> think we need to dig anyone into that. Yeah, the point being, well, one of the points under the article uh, was that uh, that sounds really challenging. So it's kind of doesn't really <laughs> doesn't seem to work in the same as a you know storm in a teacup. But hey ho, depends if we're talking about a cycling bottle with the you know the large opening or. Wow. <laughs> or is it like a normal drinks bottle? That, like I'm thinking a, a beer bottle might be the most challenging. I can't believe how quickly this has descended already. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a new record. My 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 brain immediately went to uh, ship in a bottle. So that's I was picturing that kind of like you know kind uh-huh. of glass narrow opening. And I agree, it would be exceptionally difficult to to fully capture your fart in a bottle. And and frankly, what would you even do once you got it in there? I'm not really sure what purpose. That would serve. Well, Nonetheless, if it was Lefebvre, he'd probably try and sell it. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, Johnny, what's 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 going on here? Well, basically, uh, Remco Venables won the Vuelta, won the World Championships, and it's Remco Venables. So it's always going to invite speculation of what happens next because him winning everything isn't enough. And the crux of the matter is, Quick Step don't pay as high salaries as some of the super teams like Ineos. So the way their salaries and the structure, their payroll works is that it's low, low basic, basic level, what you take home every month. And then if you win a bunch of races, then you, you know, then you're buying your, your sports cars like J vine, or you're upgrading to a big house in Monaco or wherever. Um, And Ineos of all the super teams are currently looking the most bereft of winning the world championships winning a grand tour. So matching a big, big 50 million pound budget with a very talented guy who's maybe not earning as much as the other very talented guys and wouldn't cost as much to free 
him from his contract. Memes that the speculation. Dan Benson over at Velo News um, got a text saying that, or got a message, got a message from Ineos saying that they'd uh, been texting Patrick Lefevre. Dave Brailsford, you know, is is popping into his DMs, being like, "How much for <laughs> how much Romko Venepol?" Um, I really hope that's how it works. I really want it to work that way. Yeah, just slide into those DMs. And uh, there, there were lots of people saying like, oh, it's just a text. So, you know, how can we, how can we trust this as like reliable news? And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter how these conversations are happening. You know, Dave Brailsford isn't sending carrier pigeon or driving one of the Ineos <laughs> Grenadier over to Belgium. Um, in 2022, people text people. Um, whether there's anything to it, Evenepoel's salary and contract seems kind of still expensive. Um, less than Tadej Pogacar, which would probably cost Ineos their entire budget for the, for the year, which maybe would be a better option if they want to win the Tour again than anything else they currently got going on. Um, I'm not going to say no. I think I think you could... It'd be one of those, like, everyone would sigh and be like, oh, here we go. Yeah. I'd kind of like to see it. Yeah, I'd kind of like to see it too. I, I mean... Uh- Part of the story was that Jim Ratcliffe, Mr. Ineos, Moneybags, he wants to win a Tour de France as soon as possible, which makes me wonder whether he's actually as tuned into cycling as maybe he should be, given what we've said. I don't know. Let's not go down there. Can Remco win the Tour next year in this one? But still, um, but it, it, when I, the text part of the story makes me think, well, it it just seems so desperate to me. It's like you said about (laughs) Ineos being one of the, Perhaps less likely to win the tour next year. I don't know. We it's know, about we, as unlikely as almost any other team, I would yeah. say, to win the tour next year. Yeah. I mean, I, I might, the picture I have in my head is just you've got Jim and Dave um, comparing their trading cards and they're missing a golden ticket and they need it and they've got to complete their collection. Um, so, <laughs> Uncle Patrick, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, I think this kind of just, shows us how sort of lost any us are at the moment. Like it's a long time since they've been the dominant squad that we kind of still think of them as, you know, when we naturally think any us, we naturally think Sky and we naturally think, you know, uh, just absolutely dominant Grand Tour squad. But I think that's a reflection of how the sport has changed recently. You know, we talk about all these young superstars and Sky and later any us, they didn't really come into the sport when it was all about young superstars. They come into the sport in 2010 when they had more money than anybody else and could buy all the best riders and the riders who were going to win. And then the riders who might challenge them, they were able to buy them and pay them enough to work in support of the riders who they could well have been challenging for results. And now fast forward to 2020 onwards, where it's a sport that is suddenly all about identifying young talent early and snapping it up on long-term contracts. I think they don't really, they're not really tuned in to spotting that talent earlier and that's kind of how they missed Pogaccia. That's kind of how they've missed others. And, you know, you could argue that's how they missed Evenepoel, although being Belgian, he's probably always likely to go to quick step. But it just sort of sounds now like they're trying to apply their original method of buying the best, buying wins effectively. And it doesn't really work in 2022 where you need to be, in, like I've mentioned it before in the podcast, but when Enios were chasing Ivan Sosa, UAE were quietly snapping up Tadej Pogaccia, who, Anybody who was watching the other 23 ranks could clearly identify at the time was the up and coming superstar, one Lavenier in his first year senior in that. And, you know, that, that, 
that's where it's gone wrong. It's not, it's not that Garen Thomas is, you know, not the writer he was four years ago because he's four years older. It's not because Chris Froome isn't there anymore. It's because they haven't invested in the talent or spotted the talent the way other teams have done, I think. Well, they didn't have to for a long time because they could just buy everybody up and teams knew that. And, and that's probably part of the reason why they're putting these sort of bigger, longer, more extensive contracts on some of these riders, right? The, the reason why not only are you making it, not only are you paying them some qu- them quite well, but you're making it even more expensive to break those contracts in any way. And to be fair, like they have quite a lot of young talent signed up in the last couple of years. I guess the problem they're running up against now is that the Grand Tour winning talent is already snapped up. Like those Pogacas and Vinagos and Remco Venipoles, they only come along you know, they're very few and far between and any of us to their credit have a lot of young talent on their roster for next year and going forward. Um, but again, this trying, if it is true that they're trying to get a Venipole, it just seems a little bit, uh, it, it's as if the horse is already bolted and they're trying to get it back into the barn. Over the summer, Jim Ratcliffe in, in the British press, it was all about whether he was going to buy Chelsea Football Club or Man U Football Club, and neither of those things materialised. And I think we worked out, or they're putting together various reports, Remco Venepol would cut, he's the second highest paid uh, rider, or not the most high, not the highest paid rider at Quick Step. So he's it's less than Juliana Philippe's 2.3 million euros a year. I think he's got four years on his contract left. And the, if anyone wants to buy him out of that contract, it would have to be more than his current one as well as paying it out so that's about 20 Remco and Venipoles equals one Chelsea or Man United I think so <laughs> I imagine if if Jim Ratcliffe really wants to try and win the tour he can he's got the money down the back of a sofa somewhere well that's the thing right is is that all of this is if we were talking about anybody else we'd say okay well it's probably not going to happen because they're going to do a a return on that investment calculation and say probably not worth spending however much it is you know 20 million bucks or 30 million bucks or whatever it is on on Remco that's not a lot uh if you are also talking about owning football slash soccer teams uh which Ratcliffe already does right in addition to looking at at Chelsea he, he owns what a team in France um you know where where those players a, a 20, 30 million euro power pound player is, is bang average for the Premier League, right? Uh, <laughs> like, so, so we're talking about sort of a totally different scale here. And, and I could, I, that's why I could see it happen. Like I could see if you, if you sort of step back and assume, let's assume that, that this conversation is happening between Brailsford and Ratcliffe and Patrick Lefebvre. Let's assume that that's happening. If you step back, if you're Lefebvre, obviously you're going to push off as long as you possibly can. One, you just want to keep him, right? He's hugely important to a lot of Lefebvre's other sponsors, I'm sure. Uh, and two, if you do, if you think you might lose him, you want to get your absolute maximum value out of him. And that's essentially what they're what they're sort of going back and forth on right now. Again, if we're assuming that these that the, this conversation is happening, Lefebvre is going to push it off as as far as he possibly can until he can get enough money to fund his team for two or three years out of this one rider. Right. And at that point, he probably is going to say, we're a Belgian classics team and we don't actually need a grand tour contender <laughs> in this squad. Yes. He's very important. Yes. He's the most important Belgian rider uh, at the time, but they can make do without, right. They've won a heck of a lot of bike races this year without him. 
and feel like Lefebvre at some point will take that would take that payday. And they've got form, quick step, doing this with really big riders. Um, Cavendish, Kittle, um, all sorts of people who they've said goodbye to. Henrik Mass, even. Um, yeah. Um, so it's it, it would not be, I, don't, I think it would surprise no one. And he would, you know, Remco Evenepoel is going to be looking at huge numbers and he's 22. So it's, but the other, and the other thing is that speaking about return on investment and the risk, this is not a rider who is going to be encumbered by the rainbow curse. You know, he might not win the tour, he might not win another Grand Tour next year, but he will win a lot of races unless he has a massive crash. So he's going to, it's, you know, it's going to work. Um, he's, yeah, there's no risk to, to Remco. That, that 20 million you mentioned there, Johnny, that's the equivalent of about three months' salary for Kylian Mbappe at PSG. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like a lot to us when we're talking about cycling, but it's, uh, yeah, in other sports, not so much. The other thing with the the currency or the equivalent cost of all this thing, so compared to the football clubs to Evenepoel, Evenepoel, two Evenepoels is worth one Tadej Pogacar in the current sort of contract situations. What would you, who would you rather have? One Pogaccia, two Evenepoels? That's what I was going to say, that actually, if, if I'm Jim Rockcliffe looking at this, I'm thinking if I'm going to have to spend 20 or 30 million to get Evenepoel, yeah. there is still, let's say, a risk. It's surely a safer bet to spend 50 million <laughs> and, and get Pogaccia. <laughs> What's another 20? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's worth $10 billion, Jim Radcliffe. Uh, which I believe means he could buy 500 Remco Evenepoel. So what you're saying is it's kind of like going to the supermarket for us and looking at two boxes of cornflakes and trying to decide is it worth the extra for a box of Kellogg's versus a box of own brand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he's going to take the Kellogg's there. More, more maths on this podcast than ever before, I think. All all are, all are, on it. There are other cornflake variabilities of, or variations available. I have to say, I don't like this whole, it feels like the beginning of the footballification of cycling. Like all this, like it's in football now, mm. it's all kind of gross and it's, it doesn't reflect like actually like the fans and what it is. And especially because it's like British people doing it and coming in and like sort of like, I mean, they've been doing it for like 12 years, but like coming in flashing the cash, it's just wrong in it. Like it doesn't reflect <laughs> what cycling is. It's so, basically a bit more... You're probably the only person on this just, podcast who could say that and get away with it. Yeah, right. I was just going to say that is it weird? Is it weird that I want Ineos to get one of these guys? Like, no. I, I, like a couple of years ago, I would have been like, thank God they're not winning anymore. And now nah. I flipped. And, and I would like to see that team have somebody who could do something in the tour de France, right? I, I think it would make the tour more interesting once again. I think it'd be interesting seeing Remco surrounded by other leaders as well. Because yes, it, it isn't what it used to be. Um, you, haven't, you, know, you haven't got Froome and Thomas and Bernal and anyone else that might have been a contender at one point. But at the moment, I mean, Quickstep has Evenable and half a Grand Tour team around him. Um, whereas Remco, he, if he signs for Ineos, yeah, he'll definitely get a leadership role. But he will be surrounded by a very different environment, and you know we know we, Evenepoel is one of the bigger characters in cycling, a sport that doesn't have many huge characters. Let's face it. Um, so it would be a very interesting chapter in Ineos and Evenepoel history. I think we should be interesting to watch. I think actually uh, one thing that I haven't seen discussed and could well have been I just haven't 
been paying a whole lot of attention to this topic, but it's actually quite an interesting decision for Evenepoel himself because if he if he does want to win the Tour de France one day, which presumably he does, you would have to think he has a better chance with Ineos than with Quickstep. And you know, for we all, we all know why Ineos have won so many Grand Tours over the last decade, and despite the fact that they haven't won a Grand Tour over the last couple of seasons, all that sort of experience and know-how and expertise is still there, uh, and surely that would that would be a, a major draw for Evenepoel to consider moving. But at the same time, if he, as a Belgian living in Belgium, riding for Quickstep, if he leaves them. It's not going to go down too well with the Flemish fans. It's you know it, he, he surely has to weigh that up as well. He may well have to leave the country also, uh, as well as leave the country's <laughs> biggest cycling team. So it, it certainly wouldn't be an easy decision for him to make. Um, it, would, it would be interesting to see just what he would do. But I guess the 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 kind of money that we're talking about would also help with that decision. Has he not moved to Monaco already? I had just assumed that he moved to Monaco already <laughs> with all the rest of them. I think he's still in Dilbeek. Good for him. It's yeah, all, it's inevitable. Uh, but he <laughs> It looks like a lot though. Like the airport, the all the balcony celebrations, it's like he's gotta be out of there in the next six months, like too much. <laughs> well, because like he's 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 now he probably already was at this point, but you know, he's gonna reach that point where he can't go anyway. grocery shopping. Right? Yeah. Like that that's not something that he's gonna enjoy. Uh, <laughs> and, and so yeah, that, I mean that's why a lot of them move to Monaco, right? Or they move somewhere where there's just fewer Belgian cycling fans, basically. <laughs> well, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, yeah, we don't really know. We don't really know how this is going to end up. I I think that there's. I think it's very likely that again that these conversations are happening. In fact, I would I would. I would wager quite a bit of money on the fact that these conversations are are happening. That doesn't mean that they will be successful. Uh, but I, you know, you've got a, a billionaire backing you. If you're Dave, Dave Brailsford uh, or Rod Ellingworth, you're going to try, right? You're going to try because you're looking at your current squad, and there is absolutely nobody on Ineos who's going to win a Tour de France next year, right? And so. If that is what Jim Ratcliffe wants, they need somebody new. Uh, and and Remco's probably the more gettable of the essentially what three options the the, the, the three different riders that you would want at this point. Um, although we haven't we haven't talked about like could they get Vingago? Uh, I think it's more likely that they get Roglic. With the, uh, I think that would be a mistake. I think that would be a great way to get third. Yeah, well, uh, but that's <laughs> it's better than getting sixth. I think it's that's more true. likely they get, they get Roglic because uh, he. I mean, he, we haven't heard much from Roglic since the Fred Wright situation, um, and there was um, you know all that kerfuffle around the team's management of it. Um, you know, that I've seen I've seen some discussion over whether that was a well orchestrated pretend fight that might end up might be fuel to the fire that leads to Roglic jumping ship um, mm. and you know, like you say that if there's nobody else while Bernal is still uh, recovering there's nobody else at Ineos Roglic before he's really 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 too old you might get he'll get another chance at leadership he is not going to get the chance to lead a Tour de France again with the team he's at um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Evenepoel dries up and we hear about Roglic chatting with uh, the Ineos crew. And if uh, Ineos want to continue targeting 
one week stage races and dominating them, then Roglic is exactly the sort of guy <laughs> to get. And then, and then get into the tour with so much hope and eventually crashing out. Yeah. A new Richie Port. A new Richie Port is what you're saying. <laughs> Sorry, Richie. Uh, I don't think was, it was the podcast. That was, harsh. Fine. <laughs> that, was, that was from nowhere. <laughs> okay, but it's also accurate. So anyway. I wasn't saying that there's any specific Enios writer. I just meant that has happened to Enios on so many occasions and that has happened to Primoz Roglic on so many occasions. It yes. would be a good fit. Richie Port's well, been retired two seconds and Kaylee's already <laughs> firing shots at him. I mean, you could say the same for Geraint Thomas. He crashes every day, every stage it, it nine. It was kind of Geraint that was in yeah. my mind, but I just right, wasn't yeah. being harsh at all on like some of us here who were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not apologizing. Uh... <laughs> Is this Moving because on. Australia gave you COVID? Yes. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> uh, moving on. Moving on. So we'll keep an eye on that story. We'll keep you all updated. Uh, and well, if anything comes of it, I think it'd be pretty exciting. I, I, I again, I, I want Ineos to find somebody to fully contend next year. We'll see. Next up today, this is a pretty quick one. Uh, just a worth worth a mention. So gravel, the UCI gravel world championships are this weekend, uh, which if you are a fan of gravel racing in the United States, you may you may cock your head to the side and go, what? Uh, because there is already an event called gravel worlds here in the States has been for quite some time, but it is not an official UCI sanctioned gravel world championships. You do not get a uh, rainbow ba- rainbow jersey from it, et cetera, et cetera. For the first time ever, we have a Gravel World sanctioned by the UCI this weekend in Europe. And Matthew Vanderpool is going to be there, as well as sort of a host of the mostly Euro-based uh, Gravel Race crew. So folks like Nathan Haas and uh, was it Ivar Slick? I think I've said that name correctly. Slick, um, who won Unbound Gravel this year. Uh, and Vanderpool announced this week that he's going to show up. Uh, I don't think he has he has much in the way of expectations. In fact, I believe his post included something about, I just rode the gravel bike for the first time. It's kind of like a cross bike. I feel fine on it. It's great. Uh, so he's obviously prepared, prepared extensively for this event. But it's just an interesting, um, I don't know, it's an interesting sort of uh, UCIification or Eurofication of what has been traditionally over the last couple of years a, a, a heavily American scene, right? The gravel scene has been heavily dominated by major American races for some time that feel very, very, very different to what this UCI Gravel Worlds is going to feel like because UCI Gravel Worlds is, 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 a, is a pro race, right? It's a top-down thing and most American races unbound BWR, Steamboat, whatever you want to, whatever you want to look at, are essentially amateur events with with little pro bike race up at the front somewhere. Uh, so it's going to feel very different. Johnny, why don't you uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about this this UCI Gravel Worlds this weekend? Since you're going, yeah, that, that's why I'm, <laughs> I'm learning about it on the spot because I've just opened the email that the technical <laughs> guide. <laughs> so it turns out it starts in the Italian city of Vicenza. And 160 kilometers later, it ends up in Citadella. It's mostly a, it's a flat route, a couple of bumps at the start. Um, looks like a lovely part of Italy, to be honest. So I'm quite excited. 
after that, not to mention first gravel race. Um, I th- there's I saw a few other pros listed on Twitter this morning. I don't know if it's confirmed, but I was interested to see Miguel Angel Lopez on the list. Oh. Um, I think I've got a feeling I might be completely making this up, but I've got a feeling you did one of, you know, Pippa Pizzato created those gravel mm. races at the end of last year. I think yep. Lopez might've done one of those and did quite well. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are no climbs in this gravel event, but I was interested to see his name there. Greg Van Avermaet as well. Uh, Ballerini. Um, this is all, this is all news to me because you see when it comes to gravel, you see, I don't care. <laughs> there's there's a pun on there. I don't know if you heard it or not, but I won't minus repeat five it. points. Minus five points running. I, I gravel gravel I like, but UCI gravel world championships. I know I should like it. Like I I I, I don't know why, it, and and I I can't even say I don't like it. But I just yeah, it hasn't captured my imagination just yet. And I think it's because they've placed it right at the very end of a long. UCI road season and now you got UCI gravel world championships without any yeah I know there is a UCI gravel season and someone's probably going to pull me up for that but I just yeah I don't know they, they onbound pops up I find it hugely interesting other gravel events pop up throughout the year and I might not watch them from start to finish you probably can't watch them from start to finish but certainly all the tech and all that around it you know captures the imagination but this thing I didn't realize Greg Van Avermaet was writing, <laughs> and that's I like road racing. I like Van Avermaet. I like gravel, but when the UCI pull the three of them together, I didn't hmm. even hear about it. <laughs> well, I think this, it'll be interesting to see well what's said after this weekend because I know that Nico Roach, who is also racing, he's had some less than complimentary things to say about the UCI World Cup gravel, whatever it's called, um, with the groupings for age ranges and uh, that sort of thing um, so it'll be interesting to see if this works better than that um, I don't know it's, it's it's another bike race to watch this weekend you have to from what I do know you have to do one of those world cups to qualify yeah. unless you're Miguel Angel Lopez or Greg Van Avermaet or Matthew Van Der Poel or probably Nicholas Roach or somebody else who got and I, I, I don't know but that I know you can qualify for it uh, through that world cup series David Rebelin is also doing it. Ooh. But it's just, I mean, he's sold. It's basically just a road race for him. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to? <laughs> like some sort of fever dream. End, end of season fever dream. Yeah, end of season. <laughs> I guess in the UCI's I'm defense, like they are the, the world governing body for cycling, and this is a growing cycling discipline. You know, if they weren't getting involved in some way, we'd probably be calling them up for that. So. Um, yeah, I don't think you can really blame them. Uh, but at, at the same time, I think I think anybody who's who has been in and around the like again the U.S. gravel scene, and I and I hate to keep, har- keep harping on America like this, but uh, it's a very different feel, right? Like it, this is a, a it's nominally the same sport, but it's not really going to effectively really uh, play out the same way. I would imagine, uh, not least because most sort of quote-unquote pro gravel races in the United States, it's a it's a mass start. It's 4,000 people rolling up at, at the same time, right? It's, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be, it's essentially a European road race uh, without roads, right? Like that, that is essentially what we're, what we're looking at here. So not too different from like, 
it's it, if they took Strada Bianchi and they and they and they applied a bunch of sort of like four by four track to it, you'd essentially end up with a with a very similar result, I think. So I'm intrigued by it. I like the idea of all these big names duking it out. It's going to be televised. It's going to be on GCN. I know that this weekend. Um, so I'm, I'm going to check it out. Like I'm going to watch. I'm going to see what are, happens are here. Wearing, I'm see who's. Are they wearing national team kit or trade team kit? No, no. That's a good question. That's a very it's good world question. championships. Johnny's about to find out. I'll find. I'll try and find out. I I'm guarantee pretty sure it's trade, trade team. team. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's trade team. And my the reason I say that is because this is fundamentally a commercial endeavor at this point. Uh, and the trade the trade teams that have been paying riders way for the whole season, uh, you know, the Colnago and Campagnolo paying Nathan Haas's way for for him to race the UCI gravel World Cups all season, they're gonna want him in in the correct kit, right? Uh, yeah, that would be my guess. But we're going to find out. It's the first one. Uh, you know, we, we, like, so we've read the press release on it, but it's not a race we've ever been to before because it's never happened. Uh, so we're going to go find out what exactly is going on this weekend. And Johnny will report back. Try and, try and just finish on a positive note. Let's hope it becomes something where really like you've got Matthew Vanderpool. Greg Van Avermaet should be long retired by that point, but you'll have somebody else, you know, other superstars of road lining up for gravel and you I, and everybody listening to this podcast can actually qualify and ride the same event if we wanted and actually take the qualification part out of that let's just make it that it can be a gravel world championships and if you want to fly to wherever it happens to be on and you have a gravel bike you can participate that's i, I think that's what the uci <laughs> should be aiming for that would be uh, yeah I, I don't know what the spread of gravel is but it sounds much more in keeping with how gravel has been so popular so far if anybody could just rock up and do it rather than these mandatory other uca events that you have to go to to qualify it to go to the one that you want to go to yeah let's just open it up i'm wearing a t-shirt right now that says mountain bike is the spirit of gravel on the back you've so definitely got COVID because you're wearing a t-shirt two days ago as well just so you know <laughs> <laughs> i have a washing machine running <laughs> <laughs> I'm look, I'm well excited for it. They it's a, a nice flight time, a nice carrier, and I looked at the hotel earlier, and the hotel is also very nice. So if that's, <laughs> if that's the spirit of European gravel, then I hope it's here to stay. And, and it's in Italy, so you can sample all the Italian food and everything, and coffee, and enjoy all exactly. of it without having to do your gravel race. We will report back on what it goes, how it goes this weekend. Again, I'm 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 gonna watch it. I, you know, I'm intrigued. It, wouldn't it be kind of cool if if like these events were just peppered throughout the road season and it was almost like an extension of the classics and similar riders were excelling. And I think that would be neat. The week after Roubaix, I could not tell you how psyched I would be for this, but the weekend of Lombardy. No, (laughs) (laughs) maybe, maybe could have picked a different weekend. Yeah. What they should do is if you become a gravel world champion, then when there's a gravel section in like the tour, you get to quickly put on the rainbow jersey for like that eight kilometers and then you have to quickly take it off. That'd be good. A rainbow helmet cover. Yeah. 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 I think that'd be fantastic. All right. We're, we're moving on. We're moving on from the gravel world championships. We'll let you know how they go. Uh, well, you know, listeners out there, if you watch it, if you're there for some reason, or if you're watching it on on GCN this weekend, 
let's know what you think of it and whether you think it's interesting because, well, we're all trying to decide right now. We have a couple other little news hits we want to get to today. Uh, another another bit of transfer rumor news, and this one is, well, there's, there's definitely a bit of sort of context around this one that we need to talk about. Uh, Naira Quintana is going to leave Arkea. Uh, now, the sort of obvious bit of context here is the fact that Naira Quintana uh, had a positive test for tramadol from the Tour de France this year, two actually, uh, and we're assuming these things are related. Johnny, do we have any uh, firm indication that these things are related? Well, what came out in Lequeep this week was that even though Arkea Samsic in the days before the tramadol positive came to light, they announced a three-year extension, but the contract wasn't signed yet. I don't know if that's how mm. contracts work in pro cycling. I've Probably. never signed one, but that just seems crazy and maybe kind of kind of how it works. Um, so that meant that when all the, the positives and the bad news came out, to point out, Nara Quintana is still contesting the positives says he's never taken it and the Court of Arbitration for Sport decides a week today on the 12th of October, um, whether he did or didn't. Um, so it seems related, I guess. I mean, maybe RK don't want all of the fuss about it. There's also stuff with Quintana and like police search in his hotel room a couple of Tour de France ago. So maybe they're just like, look, look, mate. <laughs> I'd, we'd rather just like hang out with Elie Jasper and I'm trying to think of another RK rider. Well, um, Clermont Champion sounds then, you guy. Yeah. I'd, we'd rather just hang out with them and not have like crazy things coming out in the news. Just wear our red and black kit and win Trobro Leon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but and he's, he's been linked with AG2R and Astana. Yes. AG2R came out publicly and said, no, he's not coming to our team. And it was kind of quite a strong statement, which, uh, you know, if, if Quintana doesn't have a very thick skin, he might take that one to heart that Vincent Lavenue and the boys don't want him, uh, on the team. Um, but the other one, which I guess seems kind of a natural fit because they, kind of have top tier climbers in, in their team is Astana Kazakhstan. Um which I and guess have is... not historically been particularly concerned over uh ongoing court of arbitration for sport cases. They're also not very concerned with paying their riders. That's that's also very true. Uh allegedly. Um Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks for saying that bit, Kaylee. I was I was trying to figure out how to go about saying that. But yes, he. I mean, Miguel Angel Lopez, Lopez came back to the team after leaving for Movistar and abandoned the Vuelta late on. And then he's back at the team and then was involved in all that stuff with the alleged drug trafficking earlier this year. So Astana, maybe this, this season they didn't have enough chaos. And they're like, right, Nairo, come on over and let's see what we can get up to. Um, yeah, it just it just feels like a team that is is not particularly concerned about the uh, optics or optics PR. optics of anything. <laughs> they just which do I kind not of care. rate. I do kind of rate that. Yeah, they just, yeah, the chaos they just is exist above it all. Mm. Yeah, they, they just lean into sort of <laughs> people not liking them. The sad which, thing about all this yeah. is, you know, had Quintana not been involved in all this mess at the moment, we probably would be tipping him for the gravel world championships on Saturday. Yeah, perfect exactly. candidate. Like. Exactly, Ryan. Um, yeah. Um, well, 
And also, though, uh, I remember at the tour, it just popped into my head, that when Nairo aced that, uh, the Rube stage, the vibe of the team and like, he he does, he did seem to get on with all of them. So it's not like, it's not like he was, because it's kind of, it was kind of an odd move anyway. Um, so it's not like he was kind of doing his own thing within the team and wasn't, they seem to all be getting along, but it's just maybe decisions higher up. But I mean, hopefully Nairo continues riding. He'll look, he'll look kind of weird in an Astana kit. I think more weird than um, Adam Yates in UAE. I think Nairo and Astana is the only yeah. one that can top that. It, yeah. We could have the end, uh, wrong end of the stick here. It could be Nairo has decided you've got rid of Connor Swift. He's gone to NAOS. I am not staying with this team anymore. Mm. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, break up the uh, the team. Yeah, see, that is a sh- I, that is a shame that Connor Swift's not going to be at Arkea because they were such an easy bus to get to and there was never any, not many people around it and you could always just chat to <laughs> Connor Swift and now he's going to be in Eost. Maybe, hopefully not. I think I'm more upset about Connor Swift at Eost than Remco Venepolt at Eost. Mm. That's just me. Yeah. But I mean, speaking of Quintana and Arkea, he has, well, as long as everything goes to plan with the UCI and the relegation system, whatever that means going to plan, then he's helped them get into the World Tour. Um, mm. Which is kind of, which I think was, did he say in his statement, that's what I promised I'd do, something like that? Or they promised that, I don't know. That was something along those lines. So he's, he's uh, they have had a good few years. The sort of mercenary mentality that will be welcomed at Astana Kazakhstan with open arms. <laughs> Maybe there has been a major falling out, and like Quintana has purposely put them in the World Tour, knowing that the squad is not deep enough to race in the World Tour, and now he's left them to it. <laughs> Off you go, because this year they were picking and choosing which races they wanted to go to and which they didn't. And if they're in the World Tour next year, if they take up the the invite to go for a license, they mm. don't have, especially having lost Quintana, they don't have the squad. To be, you know, having to go to every single World Tour race and still, you know, dominate the continental level races that they did before, or European Tour races that they did before. This might be a very, very shaky rumor, but with Lottie Sudal most likely plummeting into obscurity, no, not quite, but you know, pro, pro Conti, whatever, and um, Israel Premier Tech, obviously, uh, are, are, they have a nil percent chance of at least. Uh, by the rules, staying in the World Tour. Um, so, and I ha- was having a look when I was looking into this Quintana stuff. Arkea have only got something like 14 or 15 people confirmed on their team next year. So they might be hedging their bets and looking at the shopping list of Lotto, Sudan and Israel Premier Tech. Maybe Chris Froome will race in an Arkea. I don't think that's likely to happen because he's got a lot of money in his pockets from uh, Sylvan Adams. But um, uh, yeah, they might be, they might yet have options with the teams that are going down um we might have a archaea lotto Sudan partnership who knows i think my big uh what well, it's not a prediction because it's definitely not right uh i reckon cav to archaea that's my big <laughs> that's my big uh, conspiracy theory it just seems to I, I, maybe it's because i want to hear the manx accent say archaea samsic a lot or <laughs> see him and hugo well, if- hofstetter like uh, talking about uh, <laughs> that's super okay. <laughs> see him and Hugo Hofstetter comparing like male grooming advice I don't know there's just something about it that sounds like yeah that that will happen if they are 10 or 12 writers short perhaps they're just saving up for Remco Venipo maybe that's it <laughs> right okay they move this along quickly <laughs> <laughs> we're getting out of here uh, wait, there's a bunch of races coming up this weekend uh, for anybody who wants to Turn on the telly. 
and watch a little bit of bike racing this weekend. We've got plenty of options. The aforementioned Gravel World Championships. Uh, we've also got Lombardia, uh, Grand Piemonte, Paris Bourges, and the final Women's World Tour race of the season, the Tour de Romandie, which is very confusing because the other Tour de Romandie, the men's Tour de Romandie, happened months and months and months and months ago. But the women's version is happening this weekend and will wrap up the Women's World Tour season. Now, for a full preview and lots of chat about what that means, obviously head over to the Freewheeling Podcast. We're going to kind of leave it, I think, on this podcast today because we've already yammered for far too long about Matthew Vanderpool uh, and Naira Quintana and a number of other things. So go check out Freewheeling for the full rundown of that race. And I do believe it is now time to talk about tech. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. It's time for a nerd nugget. Ronan, you yesterday made your way. I don't even know where you were, actually. You made your way somewhere and uh, watched a bicycle, a quite important bicycle, get built. Yes and no. Uh, first of all, in all those races that are happening this weekend that you mentioned, you neglected to mention Philippe Ogana's attempt at the UCA R record, uh, which is related to also this nerd nugget subject that I'm about to speak about, which is his new Panarello Bolide FHR 3D, that is the full name, uh, bike from, from Panarello that he will be using. That, of course, Dan Bigham used uh, when he successfully broke the R record in August. And that is at least claimed to be the first 3D printed world record ready frame and fork ever to be created or used or whatever. But anyway, Panarello launched a 3D printed frame and it is printed by Metron Advanced Engineering in the UK, which is where I went yesterday. It's near Derby, sort of Midlands country in England. So myself and Phil are... Uh, video guru uh, came with me and we made both a podcast and a couple of videos to come out later today I think as we're recording this so it could be already out as you're listening to this uh, all about the process of 3D printing that frame and fork but also just 3D printing anything in general and why the heck you would want to 3D print a frame or a fork or a stem or a handlebar or anything like that uh, can you answer that question for me real quick? What, what, why, why, why are they 3D printing Filippo Ghana's bike for this weekend? What was the purpose? The, the specific reason for Filippo Ghana's bike and also Dan Bigham's bike and this bike, technically speaking, is commercially available, but good luck in actually buying one. The, but the specific reason that they have 3D printed those is because Panarello came to Metron in May time from what we heard yesterday saying that Ghana is going for their record in August we need this new bicycle made by then and to do such small numbers in such a quick turnaround time just wouldn't have been either financially or time-wise even possible to do in, in such a short time so actually 3D printing proved to not only be quicker but and they could make much more much more iterations of the prototype and that before they finalized finalized the final design with 3d printing than they could have done with traditional manufacturing methods but also for such small numbers it actually proved cheaper than carbon as well now 
cheaper is all relative here, but uh, you know, with, with what we're talking about here, it, I think it was financially better than um, using carbon fiber also. But actually, from what we heard yesterday, the most sort of instantly noticeable aspect about that new bike is just this this sort of ridged design on the seat tube and the seat post, kind of like the, sort, sort of like the, well, it is humpback whale inspired, the same as those zip whales, the same as an uh, Australian team used in the Rio Olympics, same as we've seen a couple of times, same as they use on wind turbines and that, but that's apparently with the sort of ridge design and the proximity of the ridges to each other on this Panarello would not have been possible with carbon fiber. And so they've had to 3D print it. And while to you and I, and pretty much anybody who's seen the news story on Monday, that might sound crazy because you know, as, as recently as last week, I've heard experts in the field like Josh Portner not say 3D printing frames isn't happening anytime soon. Uh, and it actually has already happened at that point. And not, not to call it, Josh, just one guy I heard saying it, but everybody was saying that recent, uh, as recently as last week. Um, but when you speak to Dmitry Katsanis, who is the brains behind the GB track bikes that we've seen for years, the brains behind uh, the handlebars that Garen Thomas and Bradley Wiggins and Philippe Ogana have all been using for years, he's kind of like, uh, I've been 3D printing this kind of stuff since 2012, so uh, we may as well just get on with it and make a full bike. Um, so yeah, to him, it's like, yeah, no, no big deal whatsoever. And this all sort of came about because some listeners might remember back in May, I had published a story about a 3d printed stem that Metron were sort of mass producing and offering to the public for 500 pound per stem. Uh, and when I got back from the Tour de France in July, there was one sitting here waiting for me to review and, Metron reached out to me about two weeks ago and they're like, have you reviewed that stem yet? And I was like, um, not really because uh, my teeth are my own responsibility and I don't want to lose them just yet. <laughs> and explained that I was quite hesitant <laughs> to put a 3D printed stem, which is full of holes on my bike. And they were like, well, you know, we can understand why you would be hesitant about that. There obviously was quite a high profile 3D printed stem failure in the Olympics last year. And we can understand why you might be concerned. So come over to our facility and we'll show you how we make them and we'll maybe put your mind to ease. And at the time they said, also, we've got some big news coming about Philippe Ogana's bike, so pay attention for that. And I kind of thought, oh, you're 3D printing his handlebars again. And then 24 hours before we were going to the Visit Metron yesterday, we heard, oh, it's actually the entire bike that has been 3D printed. <laughs> what what are they printing it out of? Uh, so it's an aerospace alloy material called Scalmolly. Um, it's yeah, apparently very high tech. I think the sort of alloy materials that we typically see for 3d printing metal components, this scam alloy, non-cycling parts, I should say this scam, scam alloy is, if I remember right, there was, we heard so much yesterday now, so don't quote me on these figures, but if I remember right, it's 10 times stronger than the typical metals used for 3d printing. Um, and as I said, it's aerospace grade material. Metron themselves are aerospace qualified. Um, so they, you know, what I, I will say, I, I don't want to preempt the video that's coming out or the entire Nerd Alert podcast, which even if you're not a Nerd Alert listener, I would advise this is worth listening to because Demetrius himself is just such a fascinating person. And then Metron, 
is like we walked into the place yesterday, and, and when I, I I've known of Dimitri Katsanis for a decade or more, he was behind so many high profile designs. He's had a bike in the Olympics every year, every Olympics since 1992. Um, very very high profile, behind so many success stories over the last two decades. And I always thought that cycling was sort of a something that he did for fun on you know a couple of hours per week or something like that. But Metron is actually probably 95% focused on creating cycling components. And then just on the side, they happen to make 3D printed hips for hip replacements. And they happen to make 3D printed Formula One wings and <laughs> just this entire range of stuff that just blew our minds within seconds of, of walking. And if we remember back at Roubaix, when I started talking about the tech, Johnny's head sort of melted for a second when he was looking at me like what is he talking about i <laughs> suspected i looked very much the same yesterday it was like my brain had been electron being melted by the 3d printer <laughs> uh it was just absolutely fascinating everything that they had they they were working on there there was stuff there like i i was concerned about writing a 3d printed stem it turns out that they've had 3d printed stems in the tour since 2018 and none of us had even noticed because number one it didn't fail and number two it just looked like the normal kind of stem that sky would have been using at the time um so yeah it was absolutely fascinating uh talk with dimitri well worth a listen even for non-nerd alert listeners uh that should be out within the next 24 hours or so as well um and yeah just the the the, the sort of big question i have was you know are we going to be making or in 10 years from now when we order a new bike Will it be a case of going online, ordering the bike, getting a file emailed to us, and then we go out to our own garage and 3D print it ourselves? And that's probably not going to happen <laughs> for a whole host of reasons, not least of which is the fact that actually the, the materials used for 3D printing are not only highly explosive, but also highly toxic. Uh, so we probably won't be doing that ourselves in, in our backyards. Um, but Dimitri is very much of the opinion that the technology already exists that when we go for a bike fit, we could be getting a scan and the scan is then able to uh, decide on the best fit for us for a custom bike. And then that custom bike is 3D printed by any of the big brands in the future who more than likely will go down this route at some point, he thinks. So yeah, it was just a fascinating experience to visit a place and everywhere you looked, there was components that you recognized that have been successful over the past decade, but yet the Metron brand behind them, none of us or very, very few of us would ever have, would ever have heard of. And I, a couple of times I asked Dimitri, I was like, when you think about world tour riders and Olympic uh, champions and that, they all tend to want the stuff for free. Uh, and he has made a business out of charging a lot of money to these people for the stuff that they actually want. And then never actually putting his name on it, never marketing it, right. never putting himself in the name that his own brand, you know, they're they're not they're they're probably the most successful brand in terms of components in that in the Olympics for the last couple of decades. Yet they never advertise, we never hear them. They're you can't even get into their order book because there's just so many people who usually get stuff for free who are more than willing to pay for this stuff. Hmm. Well. Go check out this week's Nerd Alert then. Uh, I am intrigued. We go listen to that. He said he's a super fascinating guy. He worked at the UCI for a little while as well. Um, he had Mick Rogers' current job 
there. Like he was sort of in charge of the, he was like the technical coordinator for a little while and um, briefly tried to start fixing the, the technical rules and regulations uh, over there and then gave up. <laughs> Which is strange because the, the UCA at one time did put him out of business uh, when they banned the beam bikes. They almost overnight put him yep. because he was, he was manufacturing beam bikes at the time or beam design bikes. Um, so the fact that he ended up working for them is probably surprising. The fact that he stopped working for them is probably not surprising. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I chatted with him a couple times when he was in that role. Um, and I was always a bit surprised he was there. Uh, and I, he tried to he tried to make some updates, like I said, and, and, and ran up against a brick wall and, and left. Uh, and is now doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So, yeah, go check out this week's Nerd Alert podcast. Uh, I, I, I'm struggling to think of a topic that we've covered in that podcast recently that would be as sort of interesting and applicable to as many of our of our listeners over here. So go check it out. I think that is it from us today. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, we've got a, like I said, a huge pile of races happening this weekend. We've got the first ever Gravel World Championships. We've got an hour record happening. So set aside some time to watch some bike racing and we will be back beginning of next week to talk about all of it well thanks for listening everybody did you say gravel world championships yeah happening this weekend <laughs> oh no idea <laughs> thanks everybody we'll be back next week bye-bye